0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. So good to have you with us today. We were so excited about this program simply because of the content we were going to be discussing, the topic of friendship, something that we care very, very much about. We love every episode and we get to meet a lot of them incredible people but this one more than most uh, really hit home for for both of us and so we were just excited to have Kat on the program.
1: Everything she said really resonated with us and it it brought up some of our own stories and memories and uh, that we hope you'll appreciate and we just valued her her insights and her understandings about what friendship is and what it's meant to be and, and what it can do and how important it is, especially during this time when we're, when we're all in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, distancing is, is prevalent and isolation can be as well, uh, you know, so we, we talk a little bit about that and and, again, the importance of connecting and forging deep bonds. So we hope you learned something and, and are inspired today.
0: So, Kat is the author of We Should Get Together The Secret of Cultivating Better Friendships and Connected from Afar, a guide for staying close when you're far away. Her background is in user experience design, and she's now a speaker, educator, and facilitator who helps others transform disconnection and platonic longing into authentic connection and fulfilling friendship. After spending years as a design and researcher at Slack, Pandora, and multiple startups, Kat turned her sights towards designing better experiences for people's lives. In her debut book, We Should Get Together, she used her expertise in research and experience design to help people cultivate more fulfilling friendships. In her second book, which we'll talk about in the episode, Connected from Afar, gives readers six months of weekly activities they can use to feel closer to faraway friends. Kat is a prolific speaker who has graced the stages of TEDx, San Francisco Design Week, Design for America, the Transforming Loneliness Summit, Rosenfeld's Media's Design Ops Summit, and many more. Kat lives in Berkeley, California.
1: We hope that you will enjoy the interview and the conversation. welcome you today to the podcast Kat. we really thank you so much for being with us
2: thank you so much for having me here today I'm looking forward to a great conversation
1: so are we we were really excited about this and uh, we're, we're looking forward to it too
2: um,
1: you know we're gonna talk about friendship today and one of the reasons that we started our mission someone to tell it to is because we recognized that there was an epidemic of loneliness in the world mm-hmm. that it was widespread and in, in and in many ways uh, becoming more intense so we just want to start with a question about loneliness uh could you talk to us about the first time perhaps that you felt lonely and what was that like uh what did it feel like
2: mm-hmm. can, can you take yeah. us
1: t- can you describe the scene there for for us
2: Yeah. So for most of my life, you know, I'm a pretty independent and introverted kind of person. So I really enjoy solitude. I really enjoy spending time on my own. And I've also had really lovely experiences of friendship and community. And so for most of my life, I didn't have many experiences of loneliness, but I fully, fully did have a like very clear (laughs) um, and deep experience of loneliness actually shortly after I moved to the Bay Area about almost seven years ago now. And it was probably my first or second year here. And I was still like, you know, I'd been meeting people and like, quote unquote, making friends, but they weren't necessarily getting as deep as I, you know, truly want a friendship to be. And I remember it was Christmas and I was sick. I had a really, really bad cold. And I had a few roommates at the time but because of the holidays they had all gone away and so I had the house to myself and normally I would love to have solitude and like have the house mm-hmm. to myself like it almost never happened you know living with four people so um but that week I was home alone I was had this really bad cold or flu everybody was gone from the house and there was nobody to check on me like I didn't have any close friends in the nearby area that um, I felt like I could call or or reach out to for help at that time and I remember one of the days I um, I was so sick in bed and I needed more cold medicine and like some soup or something and so all I could do was like order it on an app uh, which there's plenty of here in the Bay Area for delivery and for a few days the only person I spoke to was the one minute interaction with the guy who Mm -hmm. came to deliver the cold meds and the, and the food. And I was like, it was just really sad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that I like fully understood like what loneliness felt like. I was like, you want someone to be there and there is no one there. And it gave me a lot of empathy because like I said, before that, I, I didn't fully understand what loneliness felt, like I always felt very satisfied with my own company and satisfied with the access to friendship and community that I had. But in that moment, it gave me a real sense of what maybe a lot of other people feel like who are feeling lonely, not just in an isolated situation, like being sick by yourself on Christmas, but um, in a more ongoing way. And it was shortly after that time, I got really fascinated with the loneliness epidemic and friendship and started researching uh, what eventually turned into the book. We should get together.
0: Which we're thrilled to talk about in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. You, you've you talked about being exceedingly invitational, uh, That how that's had to stretch you in some ways. Could you talk o- about that? And, and is that something you've learned just because of the pandemic or is that prior to the pandemic?
2: I would say it's prior to the pandemic and what I mean with that is, is not necessarily saying like, oh, somebody should, you know, push themselves to do something that doesn't feel right for them. But I, when I talk about being invitational and really pushing ourselves to be more invitational than maybe feels like uh, is perfect for our comfort zone, is that when we open up ourselves and our lives and and bring people along it's often through those experiences that we're able to develop the closeness that we want. In the book, I describe the story of one of the women I interviewed who had some of the highest scores for satisfaction when it came to friendship and community. And this was one of the traits that she had was this exceedingly invitational way. And and an an example or illustration of that is um, shortly after, like, let's say she meets somebody new and an event or a workshop or something, and they have this click, right? And they, they really like each other. Maybe they trade phone numbers. And a lot of people say like, oh yeah, like, okay, well, let's get together again one day. She'll just be like, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> like, what are you doing next weekend? Um, and, you know, and in pre-COVID times, certainly she had a lot more opportunities to invite people to come along, whether it was to play tennis with her, to go grocery shopping with her, to come with her to a workout class she's doing. Um, she just had this very open sense with her her life and her access to herself uh, that she offered to the other person. And she really fully believed that it was because of that openness that her life honestly is just full of friendship and community all the time. Whereas a lot of times other folks might feel more guarded or they might feel like, Oh, it's too soon to invite somebody to something. And it's like, no, no, that's how you get close is by making yourself available and by making yourself accessible to other people and showing that you're comfortable sharing your life experiences with them.
0: It reminds us of uh, an episode that we had had in season one, I believe, of some of the Telltale Two podcast where we had interviewed Jillian Richardson, which Mm -hmm. um, she runs this program that she created called The Lonely Planet and uh, just fosters community in New York City by creating these communities. And um, we just saw a lot of parallels between her work and, and, and our work and your work.
2: Yeah, her book on Lonely Planet is lovely. Um, It describes her experience, you know, moving to LA after college, or moving to New York after college, and uh, finding herself lonely and trying all of these different things to find connection and community. And uh, her Joy List uh, newsletter that she sends out is also great—a way for people in New York to go places where they'll find joy and find people looking for connection. Um, I do know Jillian, and I I really am a a huge fan as well. So she does great stuff, and I I think both of our work. Um, Is very complimentary. We bounce a lot of ideas and and stuff back and forth. She's lovely.
1: Very cool. That's wonderful. That was one of our most fun episodes, actually, if I'm remembering correctly. (laughs) One of the questions
0: we've been asking a lot of people, what's one thing that that, uh, has been meaningful uh, that you can take with you from the pandemic that's been positive, uh, kind of a silver lining, and what's been one of the hardest things?
2: One thing that has been hard certainly is not being able to see friends face-to-face and to have them over. Like I really believe in sharing our personal spaces and having people into the house. And I haven't had a friend into the house since February or March of last year, um, which is now like a full year. Um, And that's been very hard because I love sharing meals and sitting on the couch, drinking tea and things like that. Um, And something that's been a silver lining or a benefit, I would say personally, I, th- I find value in solitude and I find value in the opportunity to get more comfortable knowing who we are, which I think this moment is inviting us all to do. And I also think another benefit or silver lining <clears throat> is that this time is showing everybody how much connection really matters and how important our friendships really are to us. And so I hope that that's a lesson people hold on to for a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well said,: We want to share uh, something that we have in common with you. We, we are both more introverted, um, mm-hmm. though we, the work we do requires us to be extroverted a lot. And so it is also important to us uh, to, to nurture that introverted part, you know, to have, to have times of solitude and, 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 and times alone or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, quietness. That's why this is interesting to us to talk with you as someone who is also. Uh, more introverted and uh, someone who can under maybe understand a little bit better what yeah. that's like. And we want to reference a, an article that we read in the Washington post that discusses the loneliness of men, mm-hmm. you know, and as men, you know, this is obviously something that interests us and and about men who were never taught how to really bond, how to reach out, how to be vulnerable and, there's so many, so many men who, who do struggle with that. It's harder for, for, for men to open up in, in many cases, to talk about feelings, to be vulnerable. It's not seen as something cool or not something masculine uh, by, by many people, but we aim to help change that. And part of the way we try to do it is to model vulnerability and openness ourselves and, and use our own relationship um, as, as, as very close friends to mm-hmm. to, sh- to show people, um, you know, what it can be like, that males can be open and it's okay. And and we also find that given the right set of, uh, I don't know, circumstances or the environment, that men really will be vulnerable and will open up. And it's pretty incredible when that happens. And we're always glad to see that. You know, wh- what are your thoughts about that? How about men and 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 vulnerability, men and bonding with one another, men and friendships.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to hear that you're both prioritizing this and the work that you do around vulnerability and connection, because I do think that it's in order for men to have the experiences that they fully deserve when it comes to being alive and being human and accessing human connection, and also the ripple effect that that has in creating a healthier world. I think this is really important and has um, been a need for quite a long time because there are certain aspects in how, uh, particularly Western or American culture, has you know some toxic masculinity in there of like not allowing men and boys to express emotions or to express vulnerability, um, to talk about feelings without you know being perceived as like being weak. Um, all of this is so, so, so important. And I, I did enjoy reading the article that, that you're referring mm-hmm. to from the post. And one of the things I thought was a silver lining, honestly, of this pandemic that it describes in the article is about how it this experience of going through this crisis together has given everyone permission in a way to discuss the things that are more close to the heart, you know, the things that Mm -hmm. we are afraid of or struggling with or going through. And it's, it's not weird to say, like, if you're having a hard time with it or to say, you know, uh, if something's a challenge, whether it's working from home, parenting, dealing with a family member who's ill, dealing with your own illness, you know, there's so, so, much similarity in what everyone is experiencing. And I, I do hope that more guys take this chance to open up with each other in ways that, you know, the before times didn't necessarily make easy when it was like, oh, like we talk about sports, sure. <laughs> you know, or yeah. we talk about the news. Um, you can still talk about those things, but in the absence of being able to go shoulder to shoulder and do a lot of activity-based things together, this is a real gift and an opportunity to connect in new ways and to redefine what it means to uh, quote unquote, be a man.
0: What would you say that are, are some of the factors that you found in your research that inhibit friendships?
2: Yeah, so there's four categories that emerged from the research that I did. And I described those in four different sections of the book. So one being hypermobility, so being constantly on the move. Uh, Previously, that also included a lot of commutes, as well as people being very transient, moving in and out of town or across country and and state. Um, Also, busyness as a hindrance and lack of intimacy or not knowing how to develop emotional intimacy and friendship. And then the fourth, being friend, uh, being relationship and family, and that doesn't mean that relationships and family are a negative thing. It just means that when you have a commitment to a partner or kids, like you have less time for connection. And often that takes up a lot of people's attention, which then pulls away from friendship. But there's so many other things as well that are sort of like subsections of all of that. So for example, fear of awkwardness or difficulty ambi- uh, navigating ambiguity, Um, can be a hindrance. Dedication or lack thereof, like lack of follow-through, lack of making clear requests. These are things that can inhibit development of closeness. Um, And another one that I see quite frequently, especially in our world of social media, is being spread too thin, frankly, juggling too many acquaintances or too many friendships and not allowing any of them to really get deep because all of them just kind of tread shallow water for a long time.
1: Hmm. Your book, We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Friendships, you ask some great questions and and deal with some very significant issues. What would you say are some of the core components to healthy friendships? How do you define that?
2: In the book, I define it as the seeds of connection, which are commitment, compatibility, frequency, and proximity. And within each of those, there's like, again, like subsections. So in commitment, there's things like dedication, um, caring, trust. There's also openness and reciprocity, which is very important for healthy friendship as well. And the way, you know, in an ideal world, all of us would have, you know, abundant free time and all of these seeds of connection, just like blooming in every direction. Um, All of them would be at hundred percent, but frankly, it's not necessary for all of them to be at 100% to still have a healthy friendship. And one of the key factors we're seeing that right now is with proximity, right? Um, we typically think of proximity as a physical state. Are you physically close to me or not? But there's other kinds of proximity, right? Like we might, I might feel close to you in my heart. I might feel like very mentally and intellectually on the same page and close to you. Um, I might feel spiritually close to you. Anytime we say, oh, I'm there with you in spirit, like that is a type of uh, proxy for not being physically proxim- in, uh, proximal, and so there's each of these different seeds of connection and the way that we express them. And again, the more you have, the better off that friendship's going to be. Uh, and there's certain things that are more or less important to us as well at different stages of our life. You know, so trust is I would say like necessary in all of them, but reciprocity sometimes got to flex that. You know, one way that I have seen that in my own life is. Um, you know, some of my friends have had a baby and like for the first like year or two, like they're got their hands full. So like their ability to maintain the same level of reciprocity with me, like I don't have kids, so like I can reach out more, I can do more, um, you know, social engagement or initiation than they can. And it's like, they're lucky if they're getting enough sleep and like mm-hmm. getting to eat food. <laughs> so um, being less uh, dependent on proximity during the early years of, of the live in a friend where they've just had a a new baby or a new toddler. um, It's okay to be flexible, you know, to not always demand the same thing from every single person that, you know, uh, to be flexible, to be adaptable, but to know that as long as there is that mutual respect, that like mutual investment and commitment to say, like, I still care about you. I still love you. I'm thinking of you, even if I can't speak or be available very much right now. Um, I'm still dedicated to you in this friendship and I want it for a long time. So um, we can use, use our words. I don't know if y'all have ever read the five love languages, but that's another oh, yeah. one too. It's like, yeah, we if you can connect with someone <laughs> over their love language. Then it's, it's a much quicker way to demonstrate how much we care about each other.
0: On that note, what are your love languages?
2: Yeah. Mine are acts of service and words of affirmation.
0: Perfect. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. What about you?
0: I kind of, can vacillate between a couple, but generally it's acts of service. Uh, I'm like hardwired for, I hate to use this word because it sounds very, uh, corporate and in a lot of ways, but just results. Like I I like to see things happen in movement, uh, both personally and professionally. So setting goals, um, you know, I was just actually working this morning on a blog about running several half marathons. And my next goal is to run a full marathon, which is uh, something I really care about. And and so that that actually carries over into our work too. I, you know, as the leaders of the organization, we uh, we just value seeing things happen and movement, and uh, just to continue to move the needle forward. Uh, but also gifts. I just uh, I grew up in an environment where we didn't receive a whole lot. We were pretty. Um, we were probably well below the poverty line, and um, my parents just always. Treated us well, especially around the holidays, uh, to things that we normally wouldn't get, and so that that's just something I've always that
1: has always spoken to
0: me. So just yeah. random gifts. <laughs> hmm.
1: For me, I think they they are a bit different from Tom's, though. I think we sh- we value them all, you know. But I think both of us value them all and are very important. But um, I would say that the the top one for me is words of affirmation.
2: Yeah.
1: I I think I grew up in an environment just virtue of where we where where we, we live um the, the the people are less open <laughs> mm. they're they're more insular and there there's there's a lot of unspokenness and um i think i craved i think i, I think yeah i think i've craved you know people you know, expressing appreciation, people, people affirming. And, and so I try to model that in everything I do. Um, mm-hmm. to me th- saying thank you to people are, are pointing out something that I've really appreciated that, that, that they've done or are that they are who they are is, um, mm-hmm. is something I try to model and, and, you know, certainly appreciate that when people you know, express those kinds of things to me as well. Um, and, uh the second one would be quality time uh you know spending you know not just talking about sports or mm-hmm. or um are the news oh well, I you know can love talking about those things but but going deeper than that you know mm-hmm. you know not just scratching the surface but really going uh, hopefully far uh far beyond that and mm-hmm. so that's um that's really important to me and i really like when that kind of quality of time, yeah. you know, it's not, doesn't have to be quantity as much as quality.
2: Absolutely.
1: What are your thoughts just about finding
0: friendships with people that maybe are outside your kind of immediate demographic? So, like, let's say you are a young parent with a lot of kids in our situation, and we have four kids, but maybe having a friendship that is of a different generation. You know, maybe somebody who's a bit older, somebody who's a bit younger.
2: I think this is really a wonderful experience, and it's something that a lot of us maybe don't realize that we need or that is missing is an access to an intergenerational type of friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can go both ways. You know, one wonderful woman that I interviewed for the book described how, She is older, and her kids are all grown up and moved away, and she found herself with um, an abundance of, like, say, like maternal slash grandmotherly grandmotherly energy that she didn't have a place to put in her immediate proximity, um, because all her kids and grandkids are far away. And she did the real brave thing of posting on Nextdoor that um, you know introduced herself and said, you know, I'm looking for you know, to make friends with women who are moms, uh, who's maybe for some reason, you're not close to your own mother, grandmother, um, or they're not around or what it may be. But maybe if you want some more grandma energy in your life, like Mm -hmm. message me. And she met a number of them for coffee and then ended up becoming close to a couple of them. And they've sort of turned into this like surrogate mom, surrogate grandma, kind of friendship relationship you know, it's a friendship, um, but it's based on this like real acknowledgement that there is value in having someone who's at a different stage in life, share your life with you. Um, And I I love that story because it speaks to like how valuable it is to have intergenerational connection As a friendship. And I also describe in the book my experience being one of my closest friends is someone um, who's extremely different from me. So I'm a black queer woman, he's a white straight man. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we've been friends for about 20 years. And it's been honestly like one of the most valuable, I think, friendships for both of our lives because we get to have conversations and understand the other person's point of view or perspective because we have a completely different lived experience, completely different. You know, sure, we have a lot of things in common too that helps us be friends, but it's a safe space to ask questions or to talk about things um, with someone who's really, really different from you. And I think one of the things that's leading to more polarization in our world and in our country is that people don't have as many friends who are different from them mm-hmm. as maybe in the past. You know, we have the ability to segment uh, the news we take in, the people we interact with, who we have around us in our filter bubble, whether it's online in social media or in real life. And sure, like people are drawn to other people who are similar to them and there's lovely things about that. But if all you have around you are people who are just copies of yourself, <laughs> uh, there's a real loss of understanding and empathy and connection and mutual respect and tolerance for difference and be able to engage and have debate that's respectful and understanding of each other. You know, it's, it's a real, um, danger, I think, to our society when people never, ever, ever interact with someone who's different from them.
1: I guess I've realized that I don't want to surround myself with people who are just of the same age. Yeah. For example, that that having intergener- intergenerational relationships just can teach us so much, and mm-hmm. and be so rewarding. And you know, there's value to obviously people who've. You know, had the same very same experiences and in, in grown up in the same in the same environment. And I understand all of that. But um, there's also great, I think, greater value to to being able to share space with people who've had different experiences in different times and are different yeah. parts of their and are different spaces in their lives.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to facilitate summer camps and they were all based on creative community and you know, social justice and social change and personal growth. And one of the best, best features about it is that while the camp was geared for youth between the ages of 13 to 19, it was a fully inter- intergenerational experience. So there was like a two to one ratio with staff to youth and the staff ran the age gamut from like, 22 to 82 <laughs> and mm-hmm. so um, a huge range of decades in who the mentors and staff and teaching artists were and then often um, there would be inevitably a couple of people on staff who either had a young baby or a toddler or something that they couldn't have in child care for that Number of days, like eight to 10 days. So there would be like a baby or like a really young kid who's like five, like running around camp as well. And so it ended up being this fully intergenerational experience from like little ones all the way up to like 70s, 80s. And it was so beautiful and so unlike what I think quote unquote normal life looks like for a lot of people.
0: That's true, community.
1: Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: There was an article that we wanted to talk a little bit about today from the New York Times in 2016 and it was called Reflections on True Friendship. And in it, it was stated fundamentally, and we quote, it's the art of friendship that warms you in the various winters, which we can all resonate with right now, we're in the middle of winter, of your discontent, and when you're in trouble, and you don't want a thousand people, but just one. Friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. The late Muhammad Ali is thought to have said, it's not something you learn in school, but if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you really haven't learned anything.
2: So I thought the article was beautiful. Um, I really love the anecdote that the writer shares about losing track of this friend from his childhood and you know wondering where, where he is and what happened to him. Um, I think many of us have experienced that. And I 100% agree that um, when you are in trouble or when you are in a time of need, you don't need a thousand friends. You really just need one or two that you can... Fully, fully trust and open up to. And many people unfortunately don't have that. You know, one of the questions I asked in my research was if you were, let's say you were in the middle of the night, you had like this terrible pain, like something happened, something is very, very wrong, um, and you were having some kind of medical emergency, like aside from, you know, calling 911 for an ambulance, like who would you call? Um, A lot of people wouldn't even call 911, they would call Uber or Lyft to take them to the hospital. Um, and then to say like, well, who would you call from the hospital? Who would come visit you? A lot of people said they didn't know who they would call or who would come see them. And I really, uh, that kind of broke my heart because in a time of crisis and real need, like the last thing somebody needs is to feel alone or to feel too scared or nervous to, to ask for help, you know, when you're drowning. It's like, you need to be able to reach out and know that somebody will reach back and hold your hand and be there with you. And this is truly, uh, I love how it's phrased, the art of friendship is what warms you in the various winters of your discontent. And it's not just that we only need friends when things are hard. Of course, we need friends for all the other seasons of life as well, but it isn't something we learn in school. I think we should. I think it should be just as important. Um, there are so many things we don't learn in school, communication skills, relationship skills, friendship skills, um, but they are how we make a meaningful life and what carries us through many, many, many seasons of our life.
1: How would you suggest those skills be taught? Do you have a, a concept, a a vision of how, how that could be done?
2: Well, sure. I think it should be based in, you know, evidence-based, uh, well, there's so much research and validation from the world of social psychology to say like, what are the things that re- really lead to belonging and connection? Um, I relied on a lot of that academic research as well in, in putting the book together. And I try to incorporate those lessons into my own life and how I live and how I manage my thinking and my connection. And it doesn't mean that just cause you learn something, you always do it perfectly. Um, we're human and we mess up. But if we don't take the time to educate ourselves or to educate each other or our, our children about how to do those things, like we're really putting them at a disadvantage for how to navigate life in adulthood.
0: Did you have a chance to watch the Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma? I did. What'd you think?
2: I'm really glad it was made because I think uh, for a lot of people who don't work in tech, there's a lot of new information there. For people who work in tech, like I have, I don't think a lot of the stuff is, is new there. Um, many of us already know that. And there's a reason why, as is mentioned in the book, many people who work in tech don't allow their children to be on social media because we know the way that it's used and the way that it's um, honestly damaging for people. Um, and even as one of the guys describes, like you can know that and still be susceptible to the addiction that it comes with. Um, so yeah, I, a lot of the information there I think is again is not new to people who work in tech but I'm very, very, very glad that it's being broadcast to people outside of that world as well. Um, and it's important to also, I wanna put a caveat on this is like not everybody who works in tech is the same. Some people like myself have either left or have like one foot still in that world very conditionally um, because of the issues <laughs> that I see with technology. Um, But I think it's really important for people to get this information so that they're not just like in the matrix being manipulated by a system and uh, don't have a choice to pick which pill they want to take, you know, the red pill or the blue pill. Um, And I also think it's super important for this conversation to be had more uh, out in individual people's lives so that they can take more intentional action about how they're living. And if they are a part of making policy, like they need this information, it needs to not be behind closed doors or hidden away. Um, I think there needs to be regulation around all of these things. And the more uh, people have this conversation and know this information, I think the healthier of a world it can create.
0: Yeah, I'd say there's one goal of that documentary is just to foster some good conversation around it. I know Michael and I had attended a thing here in central Pennsylvania through the Harrisburg Chamber of Commerce, where we um, together talked about the documentary and, and just a lot of people from the business community. Uh, describing their their thoughts and feelings around it, and I know we, my wife and I, have had conversations with our kids, and uh, it's just it opens some good dialogue, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So we encourage everybody to watch it if you get a chance. It's the Social Dilemma on Netflix. We're
1: gonna circle back a little bit to to, to loneliness again, and uh, we want to reference uh, a New York Times reviewed book a few weeks ago. The book was uh, entitled We Need to Hang Out, A Memoir of Making Friends uh, by the author Billy Baker. And he wrote it very specifically to cure his own loneliness that he felt. And, you know, in it he cited a a 2019 survey that that, uh, found that 61% of Americans are officially lonely. Mm -hmm. And he wrote that loneliness kills. And we've talked, when we give presentations, we talk about this. You know, that loneliness is actually a public health threat that is linked to shorter lifespans, heart disease, obesity, Alzheimer's, other issues that we live with and that that can take our lives. Mm -hmm. And in the book, Baker writes that he believes there are differences in the way that males and females, you know, we talked a little bit about that earlier, uh, about males, uh, relate with one another. He says that, he posits that women like to cooperate with one another more, where men like to compete with one another. Do you agree with that? Generally, um, disagree, uh, and are and do you see differences? And, and if you do, what differences do you see between the genders in in the way they they approach friendships and nurture them?
2: I generally tend to avoid making broad definitions or generalizations across sex and gender. Uh, I think that's Dicey. Um, And it also doesn't account for the fact that many people don't identify as either gender uh, in a binary setup. And I can acknowledge that there are many patterns in our society that socialize people a certain way based on their perceived gender or sex. Um, And that can result in the type of thing you're describing here where men perhaps or men and boys are socialized to do more shoulder-to-shoulder activities, um, sports or competition, and women are rewarded for demonstrating cooperative behavior, particularly when they're quite young. And that continues on through childhood and adolescence and into adulthood. And, um, and it's honestly one of the things that can often be used uh, in a weaponized way against women to prevent them from showing different kinds of strength in the world. So I say all that to say, like, there's a grain of truth in there. And I think there's also, how do I phrase this? Sometimes the way things are isn't just the way things are, but it's the way things have been coaxed into being for a while, you know? Um, I
1: I like that phrase, the way things have been coaxed into being. That, I really like that. Mm, Yeah.
2: Thank you. With that being said, you know, I think just as we described before, there are ways to coax ourselves out of that way of being. Um, as in the previous example, the way the pandemic is providing this opportunity for more guys to open up about their emotions than previously encouraged. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that each person should have the freedom and liberty to express their full emotional human state and to connect in ways that feel good to them in consensual and like mutually respectful relationships and friendships, regardless of their gender identity. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Pensy. We are volunteers at Wonders Found Thrift Shop and proud sponsors of the Someone To Tell It To podcasts. Wonders Found is a totally volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We also support local missions and people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website mountcalvaryumc.org backslash wondersfound or stop in to see what wonders you will find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard. God bless.
0: We, we love to, to share this quote from C.S. Lewis. He at one point wrote that friendships happen the moment one person says to another, what? you too i thought i was the only one
2: Mm.
0: and we lead a compassionate listening training our team does that we lead in organizations we lead for a lot of individuals and i know a conversation that we've been having amongst our team recently is we're very relational in nature we're not transactional we kind of are outside of the traditional counseling model and, uh, we, you know, we're not limited because of insurances. So we, we can meet with people longer than 50 minutes. We, um, you know, we do every, all of our listening in pairs, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of different things. But, um, one of the conversations that we've had recently is when's the appropriate time to, to truly be authentic with the people that we're listening to. Uh, as an example, you know, I've shared previously in some of our books that we've written, that I I struggle with fibromyalgia. And I remember we had been meeting with a woman who has cancer, a cancer diagnosis, and we'd been meeting for a a long period of time. And she talked about how she also has this other situation called restless leg syndrome, where it keeps her up at night. And and we had been meeting with her for weeks and months. And for the most part, we, we just, we always listen and and try to enter into a person's pain and suffering and just do it, do so with compassion and understanding, but I felt compelled one morning, because I hadn't slept well the night before, as she hadn't apparently either, to just say, I'm really sorry that you didn't sleep well. Uh, that happens to me sometimes as well. Last night was a tough night because of my fib- fibromyalgia pain. And I'm just thinking about that quote that, that C.S. Lewis offered to all of us, that friendship happens the moment one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. and. I'd love for, we'd love for you to just, if you could think of somebody in your life who's done that for you, and when was the appropriate time for you to kind of open up and share uh, more authentically about yourself?
2: I love that quote as well. It reduces that feeling of being alone in this world, you know, Um, and so many people, particularly in this topic of adult friendship feel like they're the only one who has a hard time with this. Um, And in a way, I feel like I got to have that, that what you two experience. Um, When I began opening up about this to other people here uh, in the Bay Area. So for example, one thing that felt like a risk to publicly stay, <laughs> um, particularly as someone who cares about human connection and facilitates community uh, was to publicly come out and be like, I hate small talk. I just hate it. And when other people are like, Oh my God, me too. It makes it okay for me to say, can we just skip it? Like, cause it doesn't, I don't want to talk about where I went to school or where I grew up. Like that doesn't help me feel like, you know, me. Um, and in doing that, I created an event called better than small talk, which was full of people who don't like small talk and who want to jump to something meatier or even just more interesting or just different. Um, and so I got to meet hundreds of people through doing that. And it was this continual experience of like, oh, you too, oh me too. Um, and it gave the folks who came that experience to meet each other and to have that moment of recognition or mirroring together. Um, and so, yeah, I, it takes courage and a little bit of, you know, a little bit of vulnerability to say like, here's what, how I really feel about this thing and to allow other people in the world to find you and say like, yeah, I hear you. I feel that I get that I'm the same way, but there's like billions and billions of people on the planet. There's a very good chance that if you feel a certain way about something, like you're not the only one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And also just, I think it was Maya Angelou who once said that you have to trust and love one more time and one more time and one more time. And there are times when you have to just put yourself out there and it may not go as you would have anticipated, but maybe that's okay. And you just have to keep trying and it's a vulnerable thing to do, but we have found that it is worth it. It's worth Mm -hmm. that risk.
2: It is, it really is. And that's also true so much in friendship. Sometimes a lot of the people who come to me for coaching or uh, some of the workshops I do, they're, they're frustrated by the fact that they tried to make a friend and you know, it fizzled out or they've had this relationship and it's getting imbalanced in the reciprocity department or like they meet new people, but it doesn't develop. And that frustration with the need to keep showing up is real. I want to acknowledge that. And it is the only way forward is you have to keep trying and eventually you break through. Um, You know, similar to romantic relationships, like in our culture, there's this like idealized notion of love at first sight, but for most people, it's like love at repetitive dedication (laughs) day after day, um, keep showing up and keep being curious and, uh, devoted to another person and you develop deeper and deeper bonds of love whether that's romantic or platonic Uh, the same is true in friendship it's not love at first sight it's not a light switch Um, and if you have that compatibility at first sight like sweet run with it keep showing up keep showing up yeah what's
0: the one phrase from the hallelujah song that love is not a victory march It's a cold and broken hallelujah it's one of my favorite lines yeah
1: (laughs) mine actually mine too yeah (laughs) We've never said that before. <laughs> no, we have not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about talk about our, our our own experience as as friends. I mean, for people who know us and have read our books, even you know heard heard us do some presentations, we are of different generations. Uh, you know, as much as it pains me to say, <laughs> I'm old enough to be Tom's father, and uh, in fact, I have children who are just a little bit younger than he is. And um, we met because. Um, I was asked to be a mentor to him when he was starting a new job. And I agreed to do that. I didn't know him, you know, at that point, but I said, sure, I would, I would love to do that. And, um, I was amazed considering our age difference or generational difference, mm-hmm. how much we had in common, how, even though we grew up in you know different times and have had different experiences, um, in many ways, we also had a lot of similar experiences and reactions and feelings and particularly values. We realized the more we talked, the more we listened to one another that uh, those that our values were were very much shared and you know as you know each time we got together and our, 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 you know we always had deep conversations there it's not a lot of small talk, but 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 some really serious things. And one one uh, Christmas, December twenty third, we we got together and went to um, a very fancy hotel near uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, where I live. And we 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 went there to you know, have have something to drink and something to eat and and just talk and. Um, our friendship was developing over the, over the, the few years we'd already known one another, but that night I pinpoint as a time when it really, it really, um, really came alive and was solidified. Uh, the conversation that we had was just so deep and so intimate in, in, in a lot of ways about, about our lives and our families, our experiences and who we are and, and, and were that, um it was kind of incredible. I realized that I mean, you know, Tom is asks some really great questions, probing questions. He's not afraid mm-hmm. to to ask very deep questions that that can you know, and if you, that for some people it might make them squirm. <laughs> um but um I just found safety in his questions and was able mm-hmm. to be very open and honest about the things he was asking. And oh my God, gosh, what a feeling of, uh, what a, it, well, it's just a safe, I guess safe's the word, mm-hmm. a safe feeling. And isn't that what true friendship can do? Mm-hmm. It can foster uh, that, that safe feeling. So now that was nearly 10 years ago that that particular first um, December 23rd happened, I think. Um, mm-hmm. We now every, every December 23rd since have done the same Mm -hmm. thing, have gone to the same hotel and sat as much as we can in the same seats and, um, continued to have, uh, you know, deep probing conversations and, and it's, it's actually a real tradition to us that, that we do that and, and, and very sacred. Mm. Um, This year we couldn't do it because the place was closed (laughs) because of the (laughs) pandemic, but we, we, we knew some people who had a bed Mm -hmm. and breakfast, they were friends. And we asked, could we, could we spend a few hours there? And, and we used that as our time, Mm -hmm. a different location, but it was the same kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just say that because it, it is magical and it is very meaningful and we want everybody to have those kinds of relationships that are safe, mm-hmm. that are, that are deep and that are probing mm-hmm. because they help us all to grow and, uh, and to know that we're
2: loved. That's really beautiful. I love that story. And I, and I also, the one thing I want to acknowledge about that is the dedication to a ritual, like to acknowledge that after the first time it was so special that you could choose to make it a ritual that occurred at the same day every year for the, you know, approximate same amount of time, but with the same intention and purpose. Um, Really, really Really want to acknowledge the power of ritual in that, and there's a beautiful book by Casper uh, Terkyle about adding ritual to our lives in more intentional ways to bring more meaning and connection in. And this is something that everybody can do. It's like you don't, we don't have to wait for some like outside entity or organization or whatever to say like now we will do this thing at this cadence, and then it will have meaning for you. It's like you can choose after once, after one meaningful moment or conversation to say, let's do this again and let's make it a thing.
1: That's
0: right. So let's ask you one final question on that that exact point. Then Uh, what is one ritual that you have with a friend that you'd love to share with, with our listeners?
2: Mm. I think that there are, um, certain habits and rituals that we agree to maintain together, even if they're not in that particular way. So one that I did set up with um, a friend of mine who I mentioned earlier, it's a guy I've been friends with for a long time. And most of the time that we've been friends, we've lived in a different state from each other. We were roommates shortly out of college for a couple of years. And then mostly since then we've, we've lived in different states and, and very far apart. And maintaining our friendship over the years, you know, took intention and dedication because we weren't just going to bump into each other in the kitchen or at the grocery store. And so um, we decided after a visit that we had face-to-face where at the end of the visit, it was really great because normally we would just have phone calls. And at the end of the visit, I was getting ready to go to the airport. And he said, man, this was like having 40 phone calls in one weekend. And I said, yeah, I agree. And we decided that we would try to make an effort to have a call and check in with each other each weekend even if it was just for like five minutes because keeping that cadence and connection is really important and so he's busy I'm busy sometimes sometimes we're too busy to make it happen and we just text each other you know check in but we agreed to not let too much time pass in between when we check in with each other because it feels really good to be connected and so that's a very small version (laughs) perhaps of um, like a snackable accessible version of the, uh, end of the year, big time ritual that y'all have.
1: There's no one right way to do that. (laughs) There there are, um, millions of ways to, to, to have those rituals.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's a good reminder. It does take discipline. It takes some sacrifice. It takes commitment, but it's, it's so worth it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we, we just love the work you're doing, Kat. Keep at it. Uh, the world needs it. Um, Appreciate you very, very much for taking time amidst the pandemic. And it sounds like some construction in the background, (laughs) which you had referenced earlier, uh, to to just be on our program and to uh, to share some of your really helpful wisdom with our our audience.
1: Yeah, we uh, we absolutely value the work that you do, the things that you write and and how you and what you say and share. Um, You're speaking to you're speaking very much our language. And, um, and to our hearts and our spirits. So uh, we thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much as well. I really admire the work that you're doing. and was very excited and glad to connect with you for this conversation today. And I um, I really hope that you keep doing what you're doing because the world really needs it. And thank you for inviting me to share this conversation with you.
0: Kat, just uh, quickly, how could people find out more about you?
2: Um, yeah, so they can go to my website, which is we should get together.com. Uh, if they want to get advice on things that they can do to find new friends or be better at maintaining friendships, I send out a weekly newsletter through there uh, they can sign up for. And occasionally I post additional tips and content like this on my Instagram, which is Velos underscore author. Um, and yeah reach out i have a lot of events and things that i post on my website i do a connection club which is a weekly ritual for writing letters to your friends and the people in your life they can find out about that at the website we should get together.com um yeah and i just encourage folks to reach out whether it's um for guidance advice events finding new friends like i have resources for all of that
0: yes you do thank you yeah thank you thank you That was such a meaningful conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. We talked at length about friendship. uh, Again, a topic that we care so, so much about that we try to model in our own friendship with each other and with a lot of other people. Uh, Intimate friendship is something that we care about because we have an opportunity to share in each other's experiences and we love to be connected with people who share similar viewpoints and values and backgrounds and traditions Uh, we have the opportunity to witness milestones and unexpected changes in life the highs and lows celebrations and sadness and everything in between and so we hope that uh, maybe this conversation will help you and guide you into fostering those types of, of relationships with others
1: so here was a conversation of three introverts, yeah. and uh, who who crave and need and value solitude, but who also crave and need and and value deep, intimate, meaningful, meaningful relationships. And um, it's great to talk with someone who understood that, who had, shares that same value uh, that we do, and. Uh, to know that, you know, we live a continent apart. We uh, we have very different lives, uh, very different experiences, but yet uh, that uh, we find, we found the common, the commonality that we all share. And uh, we shared it with you today. And uh, we really thank you for joining us and listening. And uh, we hope uh, it was meaningful for you and that you learned something or inspired by something. So, thank you. If you would like, we would certainly value if you can support our podcasts um you can make donations on on our website www.somewhatthetellatu.org you can do it there or you can make them through patreon.com patreon.com that's a that's another way to support our podcast series so that we can do more episodes like these and and continue to to get guests of uh, of just stellar quality So we thank you if you can do that too. So until we listen again.